Hello and welcome to the second episode of Accountable Arizona Election 2022. Today's guest is Will Humble. He has been in the back of my mind as one of my Arizona heroes for a while now. Previously, the director for Arizona's Department of Health Services and now the executive director of Arizona's Public Health Association, he's fought tirelessly for public health access for all Arizonans for many years. I wanted to get his take on our upcoming midterm. We had a great conversation breaking down Arizona's propositions on the ballot, and I hope you enjoy listening. Hey, uh, so my name is Will Humble. Uh, right now, I'm the executive director for the Arizona Public Health Association. We're a 501c3 nonprofit that does mostly public health advocacy work, although we do like networking and professional development and stuff like that. Uh, I spent about the last 40 years in public health, most of that at the Arizona Department of Health Services, the state health department. I was fortunate to be asked to be the agency director during the Brewer administration, which I was I was a little nervous about at first because I thought I don't know how well prepared I am for this. But I said yes, and I'm glad I did because I'm a native Arizonan. So I was born in Tucson in the 60s. We moved up to Phoenix when I was in like fifth grade. Yeah, fifth grade and uh, lived here ever since and went to NAU. Uh, for undergrad at first. And then that was, an, a, that was a business degree. And I f- found out after working in retail, I didn't like it. So I went back and got a microbiology degree at ASU, bachelor's, and then um, fell into public health by accident, really, and loved it. And worked at the county health department, inspecting restaurants and stuff. But I realized I, I needed, in order to go further in public health, I'd need to get a graduate degree. So I got a master's in public health from Berkeley. And then after that, came back and got the job at the health department, got working in a cube and was there for about 25 years. Awesome. And what makes you love Arizona? You know, in my youth, I in my 20s, I would say, I wasn't really sure I really wanted to live here uh, just because I hadn't experienced living anywhere else and I haven't really traveled. So when I was in my mid-20s, I, you know, I, I went to Europe for the summer, which gave me a sort of a taste of travel, which I really liked. I came back, worked at that job inspecting restaurants and all that. And then uh, after graduate or right before graduate school, actually, I backpacked in Asia for a year, like Nepal, India, China, you know, Indonesia, places like that. And then when I got back, I had a different perspective about Arizona. And I I've kind of felt like, yeah, I like it here. And I, I think in part that was because, you know, that I'd, I really never wanted to settle down anywhere until I saw the world. That was kind of a thing I would say in my 20s. But it's true. <laughs> For me, it was true. And then when I came back, I'm like, I, I, uh, what's the right word? I was satisfied, I guess, about yeah. my curiosity about what the world is like. That, so then I came back and my career started going. And so I guess I would say what I like the most is the relationships I have here. Like everyone is going to say, oh, you know, I love the rocks and, <laughs> and I love the weather and blah, blah, blah. For me, that's not it. It's, uh, I like, the people that I know, the, the the colleagues that I've built relationships with over the years, my friends, 
you know, a lot of my family's here and, and, you know, and so I know a lot of people and I like that. Yeah. And I, so that's why. I agree. There's a lot of special people in Arizona. I think it has its own kind of unique spirit of people. So part of the podcast is just trying to get more information out to voters and get them excited about these elections or propositions that might seem small, but really do have a big impact and really the most direct on voters' lives as we come up to the midterms. And I think the unfortunate side of that is that a lot of voters get lost in the verbiage of our propositions. A lot of time they're worded to be confusing on purpose. Why do you think as a public health advocate, uh, do you think it's important for people to care about this part of their ballot? Well, it comes down to two things. Do you care about yourself and your family and do you care about other people? That's the, basically that's it. Like if you care about others, then a lot of these ballot propositions are going to be something that you should really care about. It's not, to me, it's not just about, does it affect me personally? Cause like, look at me, I'm in my sixties, I'm secure. I don't have any social determinant of health problems. I don't, I'm not worried about my retirement. So I'm a privileged person, you know, I'm a privileged white guy. So, but I care about other people. And so a lot of these ballot propositions won't make that much difference, good or bad to me personally, but I know what it's going to do to other people. And that's why I care a lot about these. I'll start with the uh, debt collection protect, the predatory debt collection protection act. Now, like going back to myself, like that's not going to happen to me. Like I'm not going to get into a predatory debt situation, but I still care about it because I know that it affects um, a lot of other people people of color, people of lower incomes, working class people. And I care about how our laws impact them and how it can push their families into poverty if they get upside down in debt. And Arizona's debt laws right now in terms of debt collection are totally skewed towards the person who lended the money. That's who has all the advantages under state law. You can garnish wages up to 25%, even if you're going into poverty. You could take people's houses down to a very low threshold. You don't have a lawyer when you go into the debt court, you know, but you're you can bet the person who owe you money, who you owe you money to, they do high price lawyers, and it's just not fair. Right. So the thing I like about the Predatory Debt Collection Protection Act is it just levels the playing field. And it, you know, it, it is not a free lunch. It's not a ticket out of your debt. That's not what this does. You still owe the money, but it does provide a safety net so that for folks that have borrowed too much or something happened, you know, that medically to them and they're in a bunch of medical debt, it's going to provide them a pathway so that they can responsibly pay back their loans, but without putting themselves deeply into poverty. And um, one of the good, one of the, I think, better components of the act is that it limits the interest rate on medical debt to 3%. So it doesn't say you don't have to pay your medical debt. You do. At least, you know, at 3%, it's more manageable than having a 7 or 8%, which doesn't sound like a big difference, but over a few period of years, it compounds really, really fast and, you know, a lot more really quickly. That initiative, I think, has the most direct impact on working class people. And I'm enthusiastically supporting that because I just think it's better to 
I want to have a more level playing field. But I want to remind voters it's not a free lunch. So if you're going to go in there and vote no on it because you think people are going to be able to walk away, that's not what this does. Right. Um, another of the voter initiatives, the only other voter initiative on there, it, it was okay if I just start talking about them. Please, all. yeah, um, let's get into it. Is the Voters' Right to Know Act, um, which was has been spearheaded by Terry Goddard, Attorney General, Governor Candidate, you know, Mayor of Phoenix, and so forth yeah. over the years. And he's this is his, I think, third or fourth try to get this on the ballot, and things kept happening bad. Now it's on the ballot. Uh, they got, you know, more, way more signatures than they needed. And uh, one of the reasons I, the, the, the reason I like this and where I think it's it, it, indirectly at least related to public health is that, you know, uh, it, it, I believe if it passes, it's going to improve the level of discourse during campaigns uh, right. because people will be held. If you're going to donate more than $5,000 to a candidate, you're going to have to put your name on it. And so if your candidate's going to use that money to lie, yeah. you're going to be accountable for that. And so right. if you're a big utility, let's say, um, just as an example, <laughs> and you're going to donate a bunch of money, um, you, it's not going to be in the dark anymore. You're going to have right. to disclose the fact that you're using ratepayers' money to run political ads. Right. And, uh, and so, and the can't, and, and if you lie, it's going to hurt your brand. So I think it, it's going to improve the level of discourse in, in elections, which is a good thing for voters because they'll be better informed about right. what the candidates actually think. And it'll, it's not going to clean up campaign ads, but it's going to, they'll be cleaner. Right. Yeah. Have more transparency. <laughs> of... They'll be clean. So yeah. that's the voters right to know act, which I think, and, and, uh, I think as when voters are better informed, they're going to make better choices and those better choices are going to result in better public health policy. You want to go into some of the others? Yeah, I actually, uh, is it, I, I get 308 and 310 confused. Which one's the ambulance or the rural? Yeah, that's 310. 310, yeah. I, so funnily enough, I'm from uh, Morency. Arizona, so an incorporated town that yeah, doesn't have you know. a lot of uh, public health. And so I was excited to see that this has made it to the ballot and hopefully get some more of those rural areas resources. Yeah. So this is a proposition that was referred to the ballot by the state legislature. It's not a voter initiative. Right. The state legislature referred it to the ballot. And um, I'll start with like how it works now for in rural Arizona for EMS. And That'd fire. be great. EMS meaning emergency medical services. Uh, paramedics calling 911. You might have chest pain, like who shows right. up, that stuff. So right now, uh, these rural fire districts uh, do the emergency medical services and they're in un largely in unincorporated areas. So there's no city council to go to, to get funding, to run the paramedic and EMT work. And so they're left to forming these rural fire districts that are funded by uh, property taxes in that community. And there are rural parts of the state where it's possible to actually have property tax assessments that are enough to have a semi-professional paramedic and, and EMT service. But there's an awful lot of places in, in rural Arizona where just there's no tax base 
there's no prop, there's not enough property taxes out there to be able to, because it's rangeland and stuff like that. There's just, there's not, you don't have the ability to collect the kind of taxes you would need to have a decent response time and a semi-professional paramedic and EMT force. And so what Prop 310 does is it's going to create a 0.1% sales tax statewide that would go into a fund that would supplement, not supplant, you know, but supplement the funding in these rural fire districts. Now there's still, the bulk of the money is still going to come from local property taxes, but it's going to, there'll be some additional funding that will help them professionalize their workforce, get some additional resources and equipment, things like AEDs, defibrillators and things like that, that a lot of them don't have right now and, and really improve the response time. And, and the reason I think that a urban voter, well, there's two reasons why an urban voter should vote yes on 310. Number one, ask yourself, do you care about other people? If you care about other people, you're going to vote yes because you care that the people in rural Arizona, when they call 911, they're not going to get the same thing that you get in the urban place and not because of the drive time, nope. because the professionalism isn't there because the resources aren't there. Absolutely. Um, so that's one reason. And then a more selfish reason, I guess you'd say, is that if you're going to drive anywhere in the state, like if you're going to go to Rocky Point, if you're going to go to Southern California, if you're going to drive to Las Vegas on US 93, if you're going to drive to Payson for the weekend, you're going to be going through rural fire districts, period. Yep. If you get into a wreck or something happens to you and you fall off an ATV or fall out of a tree or have a chainsaw accident or something like that, you're going to be calling 911 and you're going to get a fire district person who's going to come out. And right now they don't have the resources to ensure that there's a professional person who's going to be able to show up and help you with that acute injury. So there's right. two reasons to vote yes on two, 310. Number one, do you care about rural people or don't you? And number two, if you don't care about rural people, at least you should care about yourself because right. when you go into a rural place and you have an accident, there's going to be paramedics that show up. And right now they don't have the resources by and large to be able to provide you the kind of level of care that you expect in the urban parts of the state. Right. And do you know with the funds or like if it's the money is collected, how is it? Who's the deciding force on distrib- distributing yeah, it to it's, the. Yeah, it's a formula. Okay. So they, they're going to look at what is it that you're collecting in your local property taxes. And then the formula distributes that 0.1% sales tax money to that in a proportional way. So if you decide, oh, well, now that there's a free lunch, <laughs> with the the sales tax that's coming through, we're just going to cut our property taxes in our rural fire district, then you're going to get less money from the other source. So there, it's like there's a safeguard in there to help ensure that they don't just cut local property taxes to live off of the largesse of the urban people. And so that's how that is. And just one last thing about this one before we go to yeah. 308, which is what like what is what is 0.1% mean so if you spend $100 at home depot that what you're adding an extra 10 cents that's the that's what we're talking about right nothing to nothing that we would notice really any different than right what we see today and i've always 
of the like, I would much rather my tax dollars go to funding emergency medical services versus, I don't know, a useless storage container wall. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> that aside, uh, yeah, we could move on to three tips. Three hundred eight. Yeah, three hundred eight. So yeah, is- sorry. This is what I just call the Golden Rule Act. I just made that up myself. I like it. <laughs> um, which is basically, you know, right now on the books, there's a law that says that if you're a dreamer, so these are DACA recipients, people who their parents brought them across the border from Mexico or Guatemala or whatever when they were a kid, and they're and because they were born in another country and their parents didn't come through the right door, and, but they grew up here and went to all the schools and high school and everything, they have to pay out-of-state tuition at the universities and they have to pay out-of-county tuition at the community colleges. And so there's this, it, it, there's a big discrepancy between in-state and out-of-state at the universities, but there's an enormous difference between uh, the in-county in and out-of-county costs to go to community college and every year about 2000 kids well not kids young adults i guess yeah. graduate from high school and are kind of shut out of a higher level education or at least it makes it a lot more challenging for them because of that state law all this all 308 does is say look if you graduated from an arizona high school you can go to in state university and pay in state tuition if you qualify you have to get in like everyone else and if you want to go to a community college, you can, if you grew up in that county, you can benefit from paying the in-county rate at your community college. So it's, to me, it's just the golden rule act. Do as to others what you would have them undo to you. It's just the right thing to do. And I think voters are going to overwhelmingly say yes to 308. I hope so. I agree. If make it graduate high school here. Why not have the same opportunities as your fellow classmates yeah. and making education more accessible. The, I'm not sure of the number, but I know it's whether or not we want a super majority, the 60% yeah. uh, to pass. And it's just so frustrating in my opinion of it's hard enough to get something on the ballot. Um, and it's hard enough to, we've seen it in our last election, even if voters pass something, our legislation still likes to fight to cut it down or expel it. What would you say to someone who doesn't, who thinks 60% isn't that big of a deal? Well, look, number one, (laughs) let's just use our, so this, this was a proposition that's proposed by the legislature. So their legislature is proposing this saying, if there's an initiative that's on the ballot, it needs, and it has a tax to it, it needs to pass by a supermajority. Okay, well, if you think that that's the way laws should be, then why don't you pass a law that says no bills get passed through the legislature until you have 60%. Right now it's 50% plus one vote. That's how you get a bill through the House and the Senate and have it go to to the governor. Okay, if you think 60% is the thing, go ahead and pass a bill that everything needs 60%. Of course, they're not going to do that, but they want to put that threshold on the voters, not themselves as legislators, but on the voters. I don't think that's right. And I'll use, there's many examples of public health laws that were started as voter initiatives, but I'll just start, I'll use the Smoke-Free Arizona Act as 
the as an example, it was passed in 2006 by the voters. It was 55 to 45, so passed by a healthy margin, but it's still 55-45, 10% difference between the yes and the no, but it didn't reach that 60% threshold. And, you know, the minority party in Arizona Dems for many years proposed bills that would have limited tobacco smoke in bars, restaurants, nightclubs, places of employment, everything except basically Indian country. And they never even got hearings. They couldn't get through the legislature because the Republicans didn't want to even hear those bills. So people, the Long Association and others are like, okay, we're going to go to the ballot with this. And they won 55-45. And by and large, it's really popular. I think we rolled it out at the state health department in a really responsible way. And it enjoys, I think, popularity because we we didn't, we were not super strict with it. Like we allow smoking on porches and things like that outside. And, and I think people appreciate we were reasonable about that. And it's popular. But if if this proposition had been in place, then it would needed to have passed by a supermajority. And guess what? My get, I would bet you almost anything, we'd still have smoking in bars, restaurants, nightclubs, every workplaces, just like everywhere, except for hospitals, basically. And it would still be like that. Right. Because it's, a, and uh, so that's just an example of why it's bad, but it's also hypocritical. It is. Yeah. It's a frustrating, like, it just feels like a direct attack on trying to on the voter, right? For anyone, yeah. anything grassroots uh, trying to be passed. And there, I know there are others and your blog has been a great resource along with the other resources you've linked. I know there's a great thing at the sub stack or I'm not sure if that's the right word, but yeah, that's really good. Hey, yeah. yeah. Rachel and Hank. Yeah. I'll make sure I want to direct our listeners to that because I've learned information as well. And just a great, it's great to see who backed yeah. what, like, and who supports as Doug Ducey's number one uh, cyber bully. I, any that he was backing was a easy no for me. Absolutely. One, I think that's a sleeper is, and I don't know that I can't remember, I get all the 100 level ones and stuff. <laughs> and so you can put that in the podcast. Which I will. Will and I are talking about Prop 129 here. Which proposition it is, but it's yes. it's the one that would require all future voter initiatives to be of a single subject. So w- one of the things that I think the legis- this is proposed by the legislature, they're trying to put limitations on future voter initiatives and, and which could really impact public health. And, and there are a couple of good examples already on the books right now that you could argue would never have made it had this been in place uh, because it could be challenged under the single subject. So I think this is a way of the legislature trying to not only prevent future voter initiatives from being implemented that they don't like, and the way they're doing that is to open the door to litigation that could sabotage even initiatives that have yet to be passed, but also passed initiatives. So, and you could think of, let's say, let's imagine for a moment 
that in two years from now, and I think this is likely, that we'll have a voter initiative on the ballot that uh, enshrines women's reproductive rights. And you, you can imagine that that initiative might not just include abortion, the right to abortion services, but also to contraception. Okay. Right. You could imagine someone going to court. I could. Yeah. Doug Ducey included to say, <laughs> yeah, we know that passed, but guess what? Contraception and abortion are two separate subjects. We want this thrown out of court <sighs> and uh, thrown out. And it's Supreme. You could imagine the Arizona Supreme court saying, yeah, contraception and abortion are two different things. They needed to run two different voter initiatives. We're throwing this whole thing out. That's what I think an example of what I think this, the, the, this, this one does. Yeah. Um, likewise, there's a, refer, a referral to the ballot and, and you can insert the proposition. <laughs> Will and I are talking about Prop 128 here. Number on this one that says, if the courts determine that an element of a voter initiative is either unconstitutional or illegal, the legislature then has the authority to go into that voter initiative and mess with it, basically. And, and, and it's, this is an amendment to the Voter Protection Act. The voters already said, no, when we pass something, we mean it, and we don't want you to screw with it, legislature. Um, that's, voters were resoundingly said that already. Right. This is an IED they're throwing in there to say, yeah, but if something was unconstitutional or illegal, then we can mess with it. And, and let me give you a couple of examples of, of where they might be going with this. I'll, one I'll use as unconstitutional and the other I'll use as an example as illegal. The, uh, the clean elections uh, voter initiative that the voters approved uh, many yep, years yep. ago, the clean elections thing. It, there was a element of that voter initiative that the state Supreme Court says was unconstitutional. I, for, I think it's the funding mechanism for one of the pieces. Yep, that's um, and so that has been stricken by the courts. That funding piece was stricken by the courts, but the rest of clean elections stands. I think this is an IED where the legislature is asking the voters to give them permission that if an element of any previous voter initiative or future has something that a court later says is unconstitutional, that they can go in there and mess with it. And uh, I think it's an IED. I think they're trying to, to sabotage the Voter Protection Act on that one. Yeah. Even a more sinister, I think, piece is it says unconstitutional or illegal. But if you look at state law and case law, there's nothing in case, and I asked a lawyer to do this, there's nothing in case law that tells you what illegal actually means. And so it could mean whatever the future Arizona Supreme Court says it means. So let me give you an example. I'll use women's reproductive rights again. What if we have a voter initiative in two years that passes? And of course, there'll be a challenge if this referendum passes, this proposition passes, you could imagine somebody saying, going to court and saying, well, you see, the state legislature in 1901 passed a law that outlawed abortion, that codified what 
the territorial legislature said in 1864. Therefore, abortion is illegal in Arizona. Now, we know that the voters approved and enshrined in the state constitution the, the right to an abortion, but that's illegal because the legislature previously said that, that abortion services are illegal. So, your, your Honor, we ask you to throw this out of court. And, and I think this is a way of the legislature immunizing themselves against a future voter initiative that enshrines the right to abortion Absolutely. by saying that it's illegal. We've already said it's illegal and the voters can't do something that's illegal. Stack Supreme Court with Ducey appointees. Please rubber stamp what we just said. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's like they're creating their own loophole for in advance. Yep. I think I covered the A-list. Yeah, I think you like, there's a couple done a great more. job. The voting one I don't really understand about Yeah. And, it's and definitely I, tricky. There one. might be one or two others that I don't. Or maybe I think we've covered all 10. Yeah, we've, we've it's been a great rapid fire breakdown of the ballot. And I appreciate it cuz I have been mostly uh, talking with other candidates and so we've been more talking about positions but I think propositions are such a I don't my personal favorite part of the ballot of just what can be accomplished through citizens through our legislature etc um one kind of final question and then I'll give the soapbox to you of what you want to leave listeners with um what scares you as a voter in Arizona that there won't be any checks and balances in in the system yeah. If the election goes a certain way, I mean, I'm, I'm a, actually, I'm a believer in divided government. I like, I don't Absolutely. like it when the executive, legislative and judicial branches are all run by one party, right. uh, you know, and if that would, and I'm a Dem and that doesn't, yeah. I don't even like it if all my Dems controlled all three. I think that I, I would love to see, I love checks and balances. My ideal result from this election would be uh, e- either a, a, a House and Senate controlled by either party or better yet, a 50-50 tie in both chambers. I would love yeah. that. But short of that, I think it's a good likelihood that we're going to have a Republican legislature, at least if we could have uh, some more checks and balances by at least having a governor who, who's going to think things through and not rubber stamp stuff is important. So you asked me what scares me. Um what scares me is a lack of check and balances if that's the result. Like we've seen these last seven and a half years where Absolutely. there's no checks and balances in the system because it's all kumbaya between Doug, the House, the Senate, and he's stacked now the Arizona Supreme Court with his faves. Yep. And it's Ducey's world and we're just fighting it. Um, what uh, message would you like as your work with public health and I'm sure striving for a healthier, healthier Arizona. What's that message you want to leave our listeners? Read your voter guide. Yes. Go to resources. It's a publicity pamphlet that comes out and pay particular attention to who is writing the, you know, like what the, who the argument is coming from. And uh, just like the voters right to know act, if you send something into the publicity pamphlet for the voters, you got to sign it. You got to say, this is me and I'm saying this. 
Right. And so look at look at the according to whom thing, like who's saying this and does it make Absolutely. sense to me? So do your due diligence on the propositions and read the publicity pamphlet and and and, and go to some other sources like the the, the Arizona agenda. Yeah. Um, who's got this posted uh, Hank and, and Rachel did a great job summarizing that stuff. And they were, I think, even handed about it all. They, oh, absolutely. They, they didn't put their hand on the scale either way. They were saying who supports what and what is their argument. Yeah. And it, it's a great read through. I'll make sure I link it and source it so everyone can see it. But yeah, there's definitely resources out there for those who feel like they don't understand or want to make a better vote. So thank you so much for your time. And just to reiterate again, Will's blog is such a great resource for a lot of the information that we talked about today. Uh, I will link Will's blog as well as the substack from the Arizona agenda that we discussed on our website at accountablearizona.org in the blog section. Special thank you to Will for being willing to speak with me. I hope you stay safe and accountable out there, Arizona. And special thanks again to local artist Junk Dior for providing the intro and outro music all of your days. Thank you.